Good evening. Uh, I have been teaching, I go on my 34th year. I've never taught anything younger than ninth grade, which is a little different than most teachers. Uh, and <clears throat> I don't know how much longer I keep going. I want to I want to phase out because the gap between 68 and 18 is pretty wide. And when you stand in front of a class and you say 50 years ago when I was your age, it's a reality check for them and me. <clears throat> um, but so far they haven't ran me out of the classroom, so I'm still there. Uh, don't know how much longer. <clears throat> but education, I've worked at Christian Light 16, I've taught 34, so education's been a big part of my life. And so tonight, we're going to take a serious look at schools, our private schools. And the question is, are we losing our vision? Are we losing our vision? Are parents getting weak in their support? I'll read you something. This happened in Virginia. When Gavin Grimm came out to his school as a boy who is transgender, his school board adopted a discriminatory new policy prohibiting boys and girls with gender identity issues from using the same common restroom as the other boys and girls. The new policy directed Gavin to an alternative, appropriately private facility instead. Throughout the rest of high school, Gavin, notice, notice the language here, was forced to use a separate restroom that no other student was required to use. That degrading and stigmatizing policy singled Gavin out as unfit to use the same restroom as other students. Gavin sued his school board for excluding him from the restroom that any other boy in his school would use, simply because he is a transgender. Grimm said that being forced to use the nurse's room, a private bathroom, and the girls' room was humiliating, adding that having to use out-of-the-way bathrooms severely interfered with his education. After four years of litigation, including a trip to the Supreme Court, the U.S. District Court for Eastern Virginia ruled in his favor on all counts. Are you losing your vision for our schools? Think about what I just read, if you are. Think about it. And you know, it's not just the fact that your son may be in the restroom and some girl walks in it's because she's decided what gender she is, is, is male that day. Or the reverse, where a, a young man walks in the girl's restroom because he decides to be transgender, he identifies as a female that day. That's part of it, but they're going to be teaching this stuff too. They're going to be teaching this. So are we losing our vision? I don't think we are. I don't think we are. You know, I found it noteworthy <clears throat> that Warren Berger, who was uh, Chief Justice when the Amish took the case, Wisconsin versus Yoder, do y'all remember that one? The one that's actually the precedent for us getting our schools. When Mr. Berger wrote the opinion of the court, he said, the conclusion is inescapable that the secondary schooling at that the secondary schooling by exposing Amish children to worldly influences in terms of attitudes, goals, and values contrary to their beliefs at this crucial time contravenes, and I had to look that word up, 
Contravenes means to violate or disregard the basic religious tenements and practices of the Amish faith. So what Mr. Berger is saying is that the influence of the public school, and he says it's inescapable that it will be a ne negative impact on the beliefs of the Amish. And I think we fit right there. It will have a negative impact on our, our beliefs and our faith too. <clears throat> so, you know, our schools were started to protect our children, our young people, from these influences. And I really don't think we're losing that vision. However, our schools take work, they take teachers, they take money, and conservative Anabaptists sometimes think education is kind of a necessary evil, right? Maybe that's, maybe that's a little strong, but we're not sure how much education is needed. And you lump all that together, the fact that it takes work, takes teachers, takes diligent effort, and we're not sure how much we need, it challenges us to really support schools strongly. It challenges us to really support our schools strongly, I think. So the vision's not being lost, but how strong is our support? You know, the Christian day school movement started about 50 years ago. That's about when Christian life started. And we presently are rewriting, revisiting our mission, vision, and guiding principles for Christian life. What would happen if you were to do that for your school? I, mean, I don't know if you have a vision statement. A lot of schools that started 50 years ago don't. But you have a mission. Your school has a mission, right? So what happens if you revisit that? What would it look like? What is the mission for our schools? Why do we have them? Is it to provide a safe environment for our children? Yes. Is it to teach our children to be competent in reading, writing, and doing math? That would be part of our mission. All right, to train them in academic skills so they can function in life. I think that's part of it. Or as we're sometimes accused of, so they can make enough money and be financially successful. Because that's why we have our schools. Probably part of it. And I wouldn't totally say that's out of the question. We do need a little education to financially make it. So all these are good rules, good reasons, good missions. But this is where I come in with a little, maybe not a different angle. I don't know. I don't know what you all think about school. But I go on a different tangent here. <clears throat> I don't think that's all we want our children to learn is the three R's. I think there are other things that we want our children to learn. And I want to use a scripture, one verse, Luke 2, 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Think about that. What did Jesus grow in? He increased in wisdom. What does that mean? He got head knowledge? He probably did some. But when the Bible talks about wisdom, I think it talks its meaning, the ability to make good decisions. Wise moral choices. That's wisdom. We want our children to learn that, don't we? It says he grew increased in stature. What does that mean? Does that mean he grew taller? More than likely. Put on a little weight, definitely. But I don't, I'm not sure I think that's what the Bible means here. I think it means that he grew in integrity. 
I think the people around him respected him. His personality developed and matured. And I think he started taking life seriously. Definitely. And it says he grew in favor with God and man. He developed a relationship with his father. And he developed a relationship with the people around him. He had the skills to do that. He matured spiritually and socially. And I think we want our children to do the same thing. Gain wisdom, mature spiritually and socially, and not just gain head knowledge. Henry Nowen says that we are called to be fruitful, not successful. And Daniel Webster, a quote from him, says, The virtues of men are more consequence to society than their abilities. And for this reason, the heart should be cultivated more diligently than the head. Now, he uses the term the heart, but he uses this virtues of men. Kind of an old term, but I think we know what it means. But something besides head knowledge, the virtues of men. And this requires training in things that are not academic. So this is where I'm going. Our schools need to teach non-academic things. So what do I mean? What do I mean when I say our schools need to teach non-academic things? What are they? Let's give some examples. <clears throat> Social and emotional skills. SEL, S-E-L. Kind of a buzz acronym. But we need to teach our children and young people to self-manage which means the ability to control their emotions and to express emotions in an appropriate way. It also means social awareness, where you're aware of the people around you and you have empathy for them and you understand others. And relationship management, you develop positive relationships. So, do we want this? Social and emotional learning, SEL. That's part of what we want our young people to have. We want them to have the ability of collaboration, which means the ability to work together, able to communicate, able to clearly express ideas, and able to listen to the ideas of others. How good are we at that? With the Trump COVID era, I'm not too sure. I think it's exposed a little bit of us and our ability to do some of these emotional controls, to be able to sit and listen and talk about differences of opinion. We want our children to develop that right. Can they develop them in school? Think about it. Critical thinking, another buzzword. Want our children to learn to think critically. It scares me. <clears throat> Stand in front of a classroom of 20 teenagers and have them think critically of what you're talking about. <clears throat> our school's a little different than yours. We have 130 students. We have 42 in high school this year. <clears throat> so um, Critical thinking, maybe that's why it scares me, but I'll get into that a little deeper after a while. <clears throat> but it's the ability to analyze 
its ability to evaluate information, its problem solving, its reasoning, its making decisions. But here's what I want to say. This is going off on a little bit of my opinion, all right? As if none of this is my opinion, but it all. <clears throat> Critical thinking is where I think education goes bad. Because higher education teaches its students to ask questions, to think critically of everything. But it stops there. It stops with teaching them to raise questions. And I'm saying, yes, we need to teach critical thinking in school, but let's take critical thinking and the dialogue involved and bring it back to where they find truth. Think critically, but guide students to come back to truth, the Bible. Amen. I think that's what we need to do. So I went off on a little bit, this is outside of maybe school, but I, it's something that I'm concerned about when I hear the term critical thinking because it needs to lead to truth and not stop with asking questions. Another buzzword is grit. Have you ever heard of grit? Grits? No, I'm talking about grit. <laughs> I'm talking about when the, when the, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Get it? They're the ones that stand strong. They have the courage and determination to work through things. They're learning it. Quitting is an option. And you know, there's been studies made in, in secular society, in colleges. Angela Duckworth is a name you can look up on this. And, and says that grit is the best indication of how far someone will go in life. Do they have grit? Another one is a growth mindset. These last two are a little different, aren't they? These are some maybe modern terms. I'm not sure. But I think they have some value. Growth mindset means understanding that determination pays off. Understanding if I try, I will get somewhere. It's a little different than grit. It's a positive attitude. Recognizing that hard work will help me overcome my weaknesses. That maybe I don't have a talent in that. But if I work hard... I will be able to compensate. A growth mindset. I can improve. I can get better if I work. It's a positive attitude that I can achieve. Character. Another thing we want to develop. And what are the attributes of character? Integrity. We want people that are reliable. People of their word. Honesty. Loyalty. Those that we are committed to principle, and they're loyal, and they'll carry it out. Self-sacrificing and caring. People that are able to help with the burdens of others. That's character. Accountability. You need to feel that the need to do my part. I'm accountable. I will do my part. And self-control. Being able to govern ourselves, our emotions, and not be guided too much by the latest thing that we've run into. So, these are a few of the non-academic skills. They're not all of them, but I think it's enough. And I think it's probably the more uh, primary ones that we would like to see in our young people. And so the question is, 
Can our schools teach these? Are they part of our private school? Are they? Obviously, I think they do, because I wouldn't be talking about it if I didn't. But think, your children start up the social ladder when they enter school. They start up that ladder, and they become, they're, they're, they broadens out. They're put in a classroom with a group of students that they have to be there 180 days, and they have to learn that, uh, how to accept others. They have to learn to make friends. And through the class, they learn to give and take. And they learn that other people are important too. I'm not just the only one in this world. Schools provide an opportunity for social skills. Because in school, children are moved into a social setting where they interact with a broader group of people, their age. And it's quite a bit different, I think, than squabbling with your siblings at home. Is that right? <clears throat> another thing is they encounter authorities. It's another, it's another stepping thing, okay? They learn to respect their parents. They learn to respect teachers, principal. As preparing them for the next step, which is the church, society, policemen. It's a, it's a first step in initiating this idea that, hey, there's other people in this world I need to listen to besides my mom and dad, maybe grandma and granddad. Think about it. School provides that first step for student children to recognize there are other people in this world that can tell me what to do. It starts the process, starts the process. Schools also provide structure that I don't think a lot of homes have. I'm, I'll, I'll be honest, ours didn't have the structure that they have in school. Certain times for this and this, get up and, and you file out in line, eat lunch, you got a certain time period to eat it in. There's a structure there where children learn the things that are necessary for functioning in the bigger world when they get older. They encounter this structure that is helpful. <clears throat> and so as we move up the ladder, all these things are happening in a school setting. They learn responsibility. Homework's got to be done on time. Learn to follow directions. The direction said to circle, not underline it. They learn these things. And they learn to prepare for a test, for exams, responsible for books, their desk. And so they learn to be responsible. Not something that's intentionally taught like it's, a, it's one of the credits you get, but it's there. And they learn that hard work pays off. They start realizing that if I work hard, I'll make a better grade on this test. I'll do better in this, on this, uh, in this subject. They recognize that hard work pays off. And also another one. <clears throat> I know that the home is extremely important in the teaching of Bible. But I also 
think that in school you can get a structured, systematic approach to teaching the Bible that homes aren't quite capable of carrying out through uh, eight years, nine years, or 12 years, however far you go. There's a structured, systematic approach to teaching Bible in a school that supplements, anyway, the home. And I think it's, it's, it brings an aspect there that homes uh, would like to do, but we know how homes are. I know how mine was. It's a little hard to get all that done. Another thing is adult mentors. I think it's uh, especially maybe of students as they get a little older that they have these role models and you know, they're asked, starting to ask the big questions. And they, you know, in high school we definitely get the big questions, but I hear the teacher in seven and eight, grades seven and eight, that some of the questions she feels in the classroom are, are young people thinking. They're thinking about life. And I'm not too sure they don't think about it a little earlier in today's world than they used to, these type of questions. And so you have a setting here where these questions come out. And like I said, I often think about younger, young people uh, that you don't want them asking those questions of coworkers at the construction site or whatever job they're in. You want them asking them the questions in an environment where you feel good about the answers they're going to get. Uh, that's one reason I feel strongly about high school, um, because of that period there when they're asking the deep questions. And if you pull them out of school and put them on a public job, um, I can't, I'm not saying it can't be done, but I think you should be careful about the job you put them in. But school can provide those adult mentors for that time period. And all the way up through, elementary, all the way up, they have those mentors, those role models, those teachers that are there showing, telling what, they, what, what you should be doing in this situation. And they also are there reinforcing what parents are saying. I think this is important too. Children, teenagers in particular, you know, dad and mom said this 50 times in the last four years. But the teacher gets up in front of the classroom and says the same thing. It has a little different weight, I believe. Is that right, young people? <clears throat> so you get re people, the reinforcement coming from a different uh, angle. Um, <clears throat> we see here that there's a lot of significant things that can happen in a school. And as children play together, work together, learn together, these things in a way just naturally happen. And in fact, I think a well-run well school uh, is quite a blessing to a church. The environment of a school just has those elements that provides the situations, the circumstances for learning to happen in non-academic skills that are critical as we start to enter into the world around us, the young people. So school is not just a place to learn to read, write, and do arithmetic. 
Our vision for our schools needs to include the teaching of these things. And having that as part of our concept of what schools can do should add some vitality to our support for our schools. It should make students aware too. If students realize that this is more than just learning the math facts, the social studies, that this is preparing me for something bigger, hopefully they will also see more value in their education. And as we do, it might even loosen a few purse strings, I don't know, to help finance this. So it broadened the vision for what the school can do. But there's another angle that I'd like to bring out that I think is just as important. I don't know if, you, if any of you have read any of Donald, Donald Crable's books. He is professor at Elizabethtown College. He's written a, a lot of Amish books on the Amish life. Um, and if you read any, hear anything in the news, sometimes you'll say that they, they talk to Donald Crable about this to verify. Fox News is good at that. Um, and, but Donald Crable wrote this in 1978. I think, it ha well, I think what he's writing about happened earlier in his setting than it's happening to us. He says, as the, old many, as, as the old meaning of the Mennonite identity, which is forged in our rural experience, fades away, Mennonite schools will be necessary to identify and transmit the more symbolic glue that holds us together. But what's he saying? <clears throat> what is he saying? I think he's saying that as we transition from farming which is happening in our circles now, like I say, happened in his, the liberal Mennonite setting in his probably late 70s. He's saying that we're losing something that has bound us together as communities. And as we move into the new norm, which is dad working at a job, and mom home with the children, this thing that is bring that worked in the past to bring us together and, and, and glue us as a community and pass on our traditions is not there. And this, these are critical to our faith. Community and families are critical to our passing on of our faith. And if we don't have the rural setting where that happens, and our young people and children are individual units, this is not conveyed like it was in the earlier days. And he's saying the school is the place for this to happen. The school is the place for this to happen. Think about it. The school will become the glue. The school will become the soil in which our traditions, our rituals, our, our, our culture is, our children are immersed in it, okay? And I think they need to be. It just needs to be their nature. It's not something you can really teach. You have to be in it. And our schools provide that. Now, I said some terms there that might 
belittle the connotation in our setting like tradition and culture. Right, young people, I know what you mean. It gets a little old hearing that, doesn't it? But they are powerful. They are powerful. Tradition and culture are powerful in preserving the actual, the true faith. And how are we going to do that if we don't have the farm community? Can the school do it? Can the school do it? Let's think about some other things. Donald Crable talked about the breakdown of, of the community because of moving into a different economic situation. But let's think about other things that we are opposing. The multimedia, the video. The power of a story told on a screen with music set to it that creates another level of emotion. What does that do? Let me tell you, Hollywood or whatever term you want to use for that out there has an agenda. They have an agenda. And it's to make you immune to gay people. It's to make you immune to immoral living and make you think it's normal. And they'll get it done if we don't, aren't careful. Think about it. If you want to change a culture, wouldn't the best way to do be to set a screen in front of a, a group and once a day they see a movie that shows all these things you want them to become? I'm saying eventually it will become that. Eventually they will become that. This scares me. The media of today, the YouTube things, they are there with an agenda to change how we think. To change how we think. You know, I teach Bible, and about three or four years ago, Time Magazine put out a cover that had a man kissing a man and a woman kissing a woman, affectionately, okay? And I hold him up in class, and I can just, I can just see the students just yuck. But Hollywood's going to make you think differently one of these days. You're going to see enough of it that you won't even worry about it. Our schools need to stand up to this, and parents, we do too. So the school can immerse our children in things that are positive, not the negative. But there's also the availability of drugs. There's the emphasis on self-rights that they see in the news all the time. There's the degrading moral values that I just mentioned. There's the allure of, allure of materialism created by all the advertising and marketing campaigns that they're throwing at us all the time. You want this, you want that. You want the latest, right? You want that watch to talk to. It talks to you. The ease of gratification, instant gratification, the ease that we can get what we want. The availability of money today is unreal. When I was a young person, my parents had sometimes scratch to get lunch money. I went to public school. 
You know, it wasn't easy in those days. Today, you can practically get whatever you want. If not, you can take the credit card and get it. That ease of self-gratification. So, is simply moving our, removing our children from a public school going to solve that? I don't think so. And I'm proposing that families and the church are going to need all the help they can get. And I think the school is one place to look for got a lot of help in that, in those situations. John Roth wrote in his book, Teaching the Transform, I'm quoting liberal Mennonites tonight for some reason. John Roth is at uh, Goshen College, I believe. But he says this, in the modern world, public schools are the setting for training children in the stories, the ideals, the virtues, and the heroism of the nation, thereby ensuring that the national identity passes along intact from one generation to the next. Schools are geared, they tell the stories of all their heroes, and they have all the virtues and the ideals of the nation to make you a flag waver. <coughs> and I'm saying we need to use our schools for that, but we're going to wave a different flag. Yes, we're going to wave a different flag. I don't know what it's going to look like. Y'all are designed a flag for the Anabaptists? <clears throat> But we need to do that. We need to tell the stories. We need to have a school that immerses our children in the virtues, the ideals, and all these things that surround our faith. And by training our children with these around them, we'll have a better chance of passing it to the next generation. So the school is no longer a passive response to negative influences. It becomes a proactive place of nurturing and training. The school becomes an integral part of passing on the faith. Our children are immersed, like I've been saying, in what we want them to become. So where to from here? Where to from here? Strengthen the original vision. Become aware of the increased negative influences, and we don't want our children to be part of it. That is, that is fundamental, too, to our, the reason for our schools. But I also want to challenge you to expand your vision for your school. Expand your vision and make use of all the potential that's there. So what does this require? It requires school boards that have a bigger vision than surviving their term on the board. They need to support the principal, they need to empower the teachers, and encourage parents to do their part. It requires engaged parents. How often have you heard, it's not the students that's the problem, it's the parents. Have you heard that? It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Parents can be a huge asset to the school, but how? Let's define that. Participate. Attend school events. Attend parent meetings. 
volunteer to help at school, the art project, the field trip, and create that relationship between the parents, the teacher, and the school board. And if you do this, you support the school, but you're also telling your child something. You're telling your child that school's important, and you're not the only one to go work there. I'm going to work there, too. I'm going to help. I'm going to be part of it. Attending a school parent meeting tells your child that you feel that school is important, necessary, and yet that you are interested and you take a part. Just attending school parent meetings. This all works together, and not just with a teacher, but also with your children. I also would say reach out to your teachers. Reach out to your teachers. Give them support, but don't overwhelm them with a bunch of helpful hints. The teacher may think, they don't think I'm doing a good job. They're giving me all this help. What you need to do is bolster a teacher's confidence. Bolster their confidence. But you need to show an interest, and you need to talk to them. I find that young teachers um, have a struggle contacting parents. Think about it. Uh, you're 18, 19, 20, early 20s. You're calling this dad or this mom that's twice your age, telling them that uh, Sam just is not getting it, getting it done. That takes, a, that takes a lot of courage for a young lady to do that, even a young man, if it's that much age gap. So make it easy for, the, make it easy for those teachers. By just being available and asking how's it going and try to encourage them. Maybe the grades are starting to slip. You ask the question, what will what, happen is the teacher will keep putting it off and putting it off until it's a huge problem. Um, as principal, I tell, I tell teachers myself, that, hey, if you struggle, let me know. I'll make the initial call. And I don't know if the principal's in here or not, but anyway, I would suggest you help those young teachers uh, to keep that contact and, and bridge that difficult time of making that initial call. So also have a positive view about education, parents. Um, manage with the homework process. Uh, communicate that you should do everything well in life, and that includes schoolwork. I really find that in our setting, it's difficult for us to really push students to do their best in education for some reason. I'm not sure. Little Johnny comes home and mom says, oh, I made C's when I was in school too. Is that what we want them to think? We need to encourage them to do their best. And maybe it is a C. That's all right. I tell students I want one thing, effort. You give me effort, I'll work with you. But show, show effort. But parents, what are the point about coming back to, you know, encourage them to do their best. <clears throat> and also support, uh, maybe reinforce that fact that they're learning more there than just the facts. They're also, the reason to be in school is learning a whole, uh, the whole realm of things that makes you a whole person. Now, you, the older you get, the more that'll mean to you. So we need to communicate to our students, our children, 
that school is important. And also, I have to say, I'll say this again, contribute financially. I know sometimes you have a large family, tuition can be uh, a, quite a burden. And so granddads um, help. Cam says it's very difficult to get money for education. They can get all kinds of money to help the needy. People will give money to help this poor starving person, but they won't see that education quite as important. And I'm not sure. Think about it. What is the most important? I would struggle to put one above the other. But people typically put the third world country ahead um, and then buy the fancy vehicle. Uh, so think, can, can you do both? So I guess is what the bottom line of what I'm saying. Can you do both? <clears throat> now, I understand there might be a couple teachers here tonight. Is that right? Any teachers? You? Do you, you the only one? Back there's a, okay, okay. <clears throat> you're part of this too. I'm sorry, but you got to do your part too. Um, <clears throat> now, so why'd you decide to teach? It's a good paying job. <laughs> uh, because I couldn't find anybody else. <clears throat> um, because you always wanted to give it a try. Because you like children. Um, you know, I guess all these are reasons for teaching. Um, but if you're just starting to teach, <clears throat> I have a prophecy that regardless of the reason you started, till the end of the year, your reason is going to be because you love and care for your students and you're concerned about their future. Teachers just, they, they learn to love those students and they really care and they want them to do good. I've seen it time and time again, how that develops and a teacher to love for her class. And that's beautiful. And parents, it's great, it is, uh, for those teachers that do that. But just a little heads up, um, teachers have their struggles, and they have their bad days, and they have the days that they don't want to go back. But they do go back, and they keep their chin up anyway. And they teach anyway, because that's what teachers do. That's what teachers do. They come back. And they don't give up. They keep showing up. And it's because, I think, in the end, they care. They care for those children. John Steinbeck says, teaching might be the greatest of the arts, because the medium is the human mind and spirit. What you're painting on, what you're carving, or whatever you want to call it, the medium of an artist, it's the human mind and their spirit. It is the greatest art of all. I, I agree. I think it is. So I'm going to wrap this up. As parents, church leaders, school boards, if all we expect from our school is learning three R's, we're selling it short. We're selling it short. 
And if we do that, we're going to lack the motivation to support it like we should. Our children are going to lack the motivation to get the most out of it. So we need to realize that school is more than the three R's. It's more than just passing on the facts. I believe that schools are part of the, have part of the responsibility to teach the whole child. I have an acronym for it. I call it SAS, S-A-S. Needs spiritual foundation, academic knowledge, and social skills, S-A-S. That's what a school should be. I was working with a group of teachers the other day, and I said, one-third of this school is academics, and I didn't go any further. And she later asked me, what's the other two-thirds? That it's spiritual and social. Those are the two-thirds of school. So the responsibility of passing the faith is ours, parents. It's ours. And I say... Let's use the potential of our schools to get reap all the blessing we can from that option. Because we want our children to gain wisdom, to grow in stature, and develop relationships so that we can develop communities of faith that last. So, thank you.